This week, we continue our conversation about the outlook for the fourth quarter. What's holding investors back and what can you do about it? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everyone. It's the week of September 25th, 2023, and I'm back today with Julia Herman and Michael Legalbo to share some questions and answers regarding the economic and market outlook for the fourth quarter. As we discussed last week, almost every investor is wondering how to keep participating in the market while also keeping risk close in hand. And just like everyone's financial goals vary, staying invested looks really different for each investor. So as we all attempt to strike the balance between hunkering down and potentially growing our investments, we focused our outlook on the areas of uncertainty that we see holding investors back. Last week, we covered our outlook for the credit cycle and inflation, two key questions we've been getting from investors. And today, we're going to offer our take on the following new questions. One, have I missed the boat on generative artificial intelligence or AI? And two, is commercial real estate the next big risk, especially in the U.S.? I'd like to start this off on the AI conversation with you, Michael. Well, we've already done a fair amount of research on the potentially transformative impacts of AI on the economy. Today, let's focus on the investment options in the space. All right. I think that sounds great. One of the top questions we've been hearing in the past few months is, did I miss the boat if I wasn't heavily allocated to large cap growth companies when this boom started? Am I going to have a better entry point or should I chase those companies, often called the Magnificent Seven, who have performed quite well over the course of this year? So to answer those questions, let's first take a step back at what investors' options are in this space. Well, it's definitely not limited to the Magnificent Seven, that's for sure. Investors can think about generative AI architecture in terms of the foundational model layer, the application layer, and the physical layer. That's a lot of layers, and our listeners may not know what they all are, so let's take them one at a time. What are you referring to when you say the foundational layer? In a nutshell, this is where the Magnificent Seven live. In the context of AI, the foundational model layer refers to the underlying algorithms, data structures, and mathematical models that enable machine learning and AI capabilities. This space favors the hyperscalers or businesses leveraging their large-scale infrastructure, especially in cloud, to commercialize the foundational layer. Seems as though this is the key area that's so far benefited from and been seen as where the leadership is in the generative AI trend. Do you think this is the space to chase then? Not necessarily. Given their size and early adoption, it will be difficult for a new entrance to disrupt their position, particularly in the near term. But frankly, even with their dominance of the space, it's only one component of the AI landscape and mega caps look expensive at these levels. Okay, then the second layer of that very AI investment landscape that you noted was the application layer. So I'll ask again, what does that mean? What functions does this include and and what companies benefit from that space seeing some attention? The application layer leverages the foundational AI models to perform specific tasks for end users, 
including voice assistants, recommendation systems, image recognition software, etc. This is where we think things are wide open for innovation and likely will provide investors with time and entry points to participate. Companies of any size investing in AI capabilities could find success with this new technology, but the winners will be hard to predict. As with the internet, mobile, and cloud, some winners will surface immediately, but others a decade later. Even though sorting out the winners and losers is not possible at this stage, there's just so much development in this space to happen. What asset classes are you looking to here as areas of potentially underappreciated opportunity or the areas where investors could really leverage the potential growth in this space? On the equity side, I look to small and mid-sized growth companies. This is a good time to refresh our argument in favor of a structure allocation to both growth and value equities, even in a tech-driven boom. Yeah, we're often repeating a saying, which is value, growth, a little of both when it comes to a long-term diversified equity allocation. But tell me more about what's in favor of value equities at a time like this, where you know it might be more obvious to our listeners why growth equities might benefit, but why do you mention value? Value equities can just as easily be an area of less recognized beneficiaries of the applications of generative AI. And one of the best ways to envision how this carries over into investing is from the profitability angle. We've talked a lot about quality this year and how our focus in tech is where tech is profitable. But if any style has profitability down pat, it's value. Free cash flow yields are far higher and much more cheaply valued on aggregate in the value space than in the growth space. Let me build on that with another angle supporting the structural value allocation argument. Even with a boom as powerful as Gen AI has been, we need to consider the fundamental economic backdrop, which right now is one of high or even higher for longer interest rates. That's a great call. Generally, a higher for longer environment, which is what we've been calling all year, such as what was suggested at last week's Fed meeting, is seen to favor value equities with a stronger asset base. Okay, but I got us a little bit off track with talking about value. I just think it was really important. So let's then move to the last but not least third layer of the AI spectrum that you've been describing, which was the physical layer, I believe. So what are we talking about here, Mike? Sure. To close up on the architecture of the generative AI, the physical layer is the connecting thread that enables both the application and the foundational layers. Here, we're talking about chips and related equipment powering the foundational layer as well as the digital infrastructure required to reach its end user. Well, we know that semiconductor manufacturing companies exist on the equity side as an investment approach here and and early beneficiaries of the Gen AI trend. But what else is there in this physical layer that investors can consider? There is where you can lean into digital infrastructure in both equities and bonds. Portions of this space can include municipal bonds as well, Well, Mike, from the very first blog post that we or really you wrote on how to think about artificial intelligence in a market context, it's been really fun to see you dive into this space and become our own Mike GPT. Uh, But with that, let me pivot to you, Julia. And our final question of this Q4 outlook, should we be or how worried should we be about commercial real estate? specifically in the U.S. And this was a question that was front and center during the bank failures in March and April, but has since trickled into 
scattered concerns, mainly about office space. So are investors too sanguine about this risk? Well, to us, this looks like a really interesting case of very legitimate risks, but ones that, at least in our view, are often already baked into expectations. And this is more than just about market pricing. So let's step back a second. You mentioned those bank failures in March. And during that time, the concerns revolved around the following. Small and mid-sized U.S. banks specifically have about a third of their loan book, the bank's assets, in commercial real estate. So there was a concern that, particularly in the case of a contracting liquidity scenario, banks would be particularly subject to write-downs in property value, rising defaults. So there was a concern that this could actually cause a financial crisis or a recession. I would argue that that concern hasn't totally gone away. But what's your take? Has the fear you know, mostly been resolved? Yeah, I'd agree. It hasn't entirely gone away. But I will say the concentration of who is holding uh, commercial real estate debt is less severe than commonly thought. And there is still competition where dry powder is going on the capital provider side. So given that we don't expect commercial real estate to cause a recession then, what's our view on how the asset class might fare as a recipient, if you will, of a recession? Look, there are obviously concerns about the earnings outlook, not just in office space, but across real estate, particularly in a recession scenario, as with almost every other sector of the economy. But there are some mitigating factors here. First is that we have some structural X factors in play, the once in a generation shift in where people live and work, to say the least. That then feeds into the diversity that's inherent in the listed real estate space. For example, though we do see some stress in office space, it is only 5% of one of the main listed benchmarks. So investors' exposure to that office space risk can actually be much smaller than what corresponds to the news flow that we're hearing. I also noted that structural shift in where people live. We see a lot of geographic divergence in the real estate market, uh, specifically in residential market performance with cities in Texas, North Carolina, and Florida doing really well, while San Francisco, uh, my home city, is leading on vacancy rates. All of that is to say then that, yes, there are risks, but they may be more diversified, spread out, and less present in targeted investment opportunities than investors might think. But then let me ask you the natural follow-up question, which is that are the risks that remain in listed real estate baked into valuations already. Valuation can be a really tricky way to assess opportunities because they tell us the potential scope, but not the timing of those opportunities. So with that disclaimer, I can say that based on CBRE investment management's estimates of the net asset value across U.S. real estate investment trusts, the average 20-year historical discount to net asset value is less than 5%. Today, it's about 20% overall, and that discount exceeds 50% for office. So we're talking about pretty steep valuation discounts, and by our estimates, these incorporate a fair amount of the asset class-specific risk we've been discussing, as well as that potential recession scenario. Well, your point is well taken on timing. Many investors are looking to a Fed pause, like the one we got last week, as a potential marker for certain asset classes to turn performance around. And 
This may well be the case, but the ongoing restrictive stance of monetary policy, which we expect ourselves to last for the next few quarters, may make timing murkier for investors. And that's why we see a structural role for real estate and portfolio allocation, especially as we consider these long-term drivers like energy independence and that physical layer of the AI realm, digital infrastructure. With that, Julia, Mike, thank you so much for launching our outlook with me today and last week. Coming up next, there appear to be an increasing list of worries for investors, but we'll tackle what they look like and how important they really are. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and we will see you next time. Our podcast is produced by Will Tyus, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both the service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.